0: Well, happy Easter, everybody. He is risen. risen. That's right. That's old school right there, man. That is some good stuff. Well, I want to welcome you to the kickoff to our uh, Meming of Life Easter series. The Meming of Life Easter. That's right. Chris Bell has been working on this thing, so thank you for that. Uh, I appreciate it, and uh, for those of you who haven't followed it at all, largely what this is, it's a look at relationships from a biblical perspective, and we're just using memes as a way of uh, giving us a little bit of uh, levity and a way of kind of experiencing some of these things uh, that represent what this last year has meant for many of us, frayed relationships and a whole lot of time online, away from the people that are most important to us. And so we're going to be talking about that over the course of this whole series and uh, looking at some really incredibly important biblical principles along the way. So everyone has an alter ego, an alter ego. And I'm not talking about like the Sasha fierce Beyoncé type of alter ego. I'm not talking about that, you know, like kind of channeling your inner animal spirit or any weirdness like that. What I'm talking about is is more of the hooded dark emperor Palpatine kind of alter ego. And uh, you certainly know who this clown is because you live With him or her regularly. It's the part of you that sabotages you. So, you know, it's, I'm gonna start studying, right? So, me says, I'm gonna start studying. And me to me says, Oh, you missed it. You should start later. And it's a subtle little thing, and you're like, All right, well, I guess I'll just start a little bit later. I had to go grocery shopping. And uh, me says to me, but you're not out of food yet. You still have cough drops and condiments. That's just fine. That's enough. You could certainly get by with that. I got to go to bed, man. I got to get up early. And me to me says, just, just one more episode. No, but, but I, I can't. I got to. One more episode. This is how we usually interact with ourselves. I really got to go to bed. But you're preaching a series on memes, so you got to stay up all night and find some really funny ones. And this is how we live our day-to-day. There is the me that you want to be. The me who has integrity and has a whole lot of compassion, And it's the me that lives for the good of others. And it's the version of you that has hints of heroism. It's the you that has all types of generosity with your love. And then there's the the me that you don't want to be. The me that's always sort of screwing things up for you. Blowing up your relationships and causing you to turn you're back on your friends it's the one who's cheating on that school project or on that test and it's often the lazy and greedy and generally self-absorbed version of you it's the other i the phrase itself alter ego is latin for the other i now i reference the latin not because i know latin but because i want you to think i'm really smart And I found it on wiki, and so it has to be true. And so it means the other I. And this other I tries to sabotage your life and your goals and your dreams and your future. And you have wrestled with this other you. But this other you is cloaked in secrecy, kind of hides and withdraws and pulls back, is unknowable. Certainly to others, but often even unknowable to you. This is the version of you that creates distance between you and God and, and wants you to join them in that misery. This is the self that beats up on the other you. This is the self that tries to get you to wallow in shame and reminds you of your guilt And piles on the self-pity. It's all the while, this is the other you that makes all these shallow promises that it cannot deliver on. And it often does this by trying to dismantle the most important relationships in your life. And the reality is, relationships are the true meaning of life. Now, some of you are going to say, wait, 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 no, no. I think there was something else. I remember a catechism. It was something about the, the, we have to glorify God. That's the chief end of humanity. And so why are you saying it's, it's, about, these, it's about relationships? And, but, but that's how you get to the glory of God. It's through relationship, right? I mean, what, what are the, the two great commandments that Jesus, they asked him, Jesus, what are the two most important things we could be doing? You know, you've heard it. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus was asked, what's the most important stuff for us? He said relationships. Relationship between you and your heavenly Father in relationships with my children. And this other you is constantly trying to dismantle them. You see the promises of Easter, it breaks it breaks the stranglehold that, that this sabotaging self has on you, on your life, on your relationships. We're going to be looking at a better way, a better way. But before we get to the better way, we have to do some uncomfortable soul searching. You guys all right with an with a Easter morning Detour into some uncomfortable areas. Because it's found in the scriptures. In Romans 7. Romans is one of the the richest books. Of biblical theology. It was written by St. Paul the Apostle. In the first century. Just a couple of decades. After Jesus was crucified on the cross. And in this book. Paul outlines the tragic reality. Of just how deadly our sabotaging self truly is see here's the thing it's actually worse than you think we're in far deeper trouble with ourselves and with each other and with our God than we realize listen if you're you know you're trying to you're trying to lose a little weight and you're like don't have that cookie And other you says, have the cookie. You know, that's unfortunate. But it isn't entirely tragic for most of us. And so sometimes when that happens, we start to minimize the impact that the other I is having on our lives. But the other way, the other you, is entirely more insidious than that. For instance, in Romans 7, He says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Wait a second. So you want to do good but guess what? Every time you want to do good, guess who shows his head? Guess who shows up? He says, in my inner being I delight in God's law but I see another law at work in me. Waging war against the law of my mind. It's not just a little struggle that's going on inside of you. It is a war that the other self is waging against you. Part of his deceit, part of his tactics, is to make you think it's not that big a deal. But he's waging war against you with the goal of making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me a prisoner that's the goal of the other eye you realize what this means if you are following this I'm reading this is 2,000 years old it means that St. Paul started the Kermit me to me meme which is pretty cool some of you aren't don't realize but if we found early sketches of Paul's writings it would probably look just like this because you really need to start saving and the other me says no 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 buy something you don't need and we go that's so true that happens to me every once in a while but we don't understand what's going on behind this right things that you do not need to jeopardize your future which also impact your ability to be generous and kind and loving and this is how he works My friend hasn't messaged me back. They're probably busy. And what does your mind tell you? They either don't like you anymore or they're dead. (laughs) So you're either going to catastrophize the whole thing and make it a gigantic problem or you're going to turn it. And you don't just do this with people. You don't just walk into a room and somebody glances at you sideways and you go, oh my goodness, what are they thinking about me now? Look, I knew that. I knew I shouldn't have come here. I knew I shouldn't have come looking like this. I knew I shouldn't have. I'm in, out, over my head. I'm in, out of my And now look what's going on. They don't like me anymore. These people don't like me. In fact, this is how many of you actually interact with God. You've been told time and again what a terrible person you are. And in fact, that means that God doesn't like you anymore. One of the dominant ways that people continue to relate to and experience God is this idea. That God simply doesn't like you anymore. I should calmly explain to him what's bothering me. Tell him good night at 5 p.m. <laughs> Come on now, you know that goes on in your houses. I know for a fact, you guys have told me. I've had both partners in a couple tell me that that's actually how the other one interacts. What does that mean? Well, it means that we actually don't relate in open and honest and truthful kinds of ways. We think that this is the way that we're supposed to be connecting to others and there's and of course your other self is telling you yes let's be that let's do that sort of passive aggressive sort of thing. You say to yourself I am sure there is a logical explanation for this and meat to me says overreact. Overreact every time. Making mountains out of molehills and making sure I sabotage every relationship at the light, at the tiniest slight. This is one of my favorites. It says, "Me sees a fluffy dog, and me to me, steal him." <laughs> <laughs> Which, of course, you would never do. You would never. You're a decent human being. You're not going to go and steal a dog. But how often? Does covetousness impact our relationships? How often do we look at another person's stuff? And not simply, we can't simply be happy about their promotion. We can't simply be happy uh, about that new thing they purchased and that shiny new car. We can't be happy about that person that they, they met on Match.com. And look at, oh my goodness, we have to say, I want it. There's a possessiveness that we have that marks Every interaction we have. Why is it that we continue to think that we can possess anything in this world? It's all his. None of it is ours. And yet, we see it. We celebrate it. We want to consume it. We want to demand it. We want to take it. We're this jumbled up bag of mixed motives and morally questionable actions and thoughts and sometimes we make up the rules as we go along and often times we act however we want and we say whatever we want and we spend however we want with no regard to what God desires for us or for other people and God takes all of this jumble and calls it sin. He calls it sin. It's the, the biblical description and what we find out in the scriptures is that our self-sabotaging version is deceiving us every step of the way. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment, put me to death. Deceive me. You know what the problem with this is? It means you don't even realize you're doing it. If you've been deceived, it means the things that you think are good may not be good. And the things that you think are bad may not even be bad. You're deceived. And if you're deceived, it creates a whole lot of insecurity in how we relate to God and to other people. Because that means that some of the things that you think are great aren't great. And some of the ways that you have learned growing up from your families, they're not good either. There are ways of relating To others and treating other people. There are ways that you have come to think about yourself. Because of how your family interacted with you. How you have been treated and what people have done to you. And these have put in your mind and in your soul. Ways of thinking about yourself or about God that simply aren't true. But we're deceived. We call Right, wrong, wrong, right. God calls all of it sin. And though we want to do better, sometimes it just seems like we can't. One of the big issues hitting us right now during COVID, the number of people who have been overindulging. So you tell yourself, I really shouldn't drink tonight. I think I'll have a drinking problem. And me to me says, sounds like you can use a drink. The very thing you're trying to work against is the way that you're going to deal with this problem. And you go this is insanity. And yet in Romans we get this same idea. Paul says I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do I do not do but what I hate I do. Anybody with me on that? You ever been in that place where you say why? Why do I do this? For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good. But I cannot carry it out. 2,000 years ago, this was the Apostle Paul. Painting a picture of the other self. I'm driving down the road the other day. And uh, I saw a car broken down. And uh, it was just kind of a thing, you know, I always kind of take note and I like to stop and help people. And so I noticed the car broken down. I'm like, you know what, this is perfect. I should help. There is an older woman in the car. It didn't look like she had a cell phone or anything up to her ear. And I was like, I should definitely stop and help her because, you know, that is the right and Christian thing to do. And I'm not actually in a rush. It's super convenient. I'm not heading off to a meeting or anything. So I should just stop and, and help her because and if I do, I mean, it, it is the Christian thing and I'm a pastor. And so I kind of should do that, too, because of that reason. And I'm probably going to be teaching a sermon on helping people soon enough. And so if I do that, I'll have a really good story to tell, which will make me look good. People will be impressed with me. And as I'm having this internal conversation with myself, I look up, and I notice that her car is, like, way, way in the back. It's like I've driven so far past it, I'm like, ah, she'll be fine. She'll be fine. Don't worry about it. God takes all of this and he calls it sin. All of this failure, wrong, sin, evil, it leads to God's judgment and death. And we're actually told in Romans 6, 23, it's a a summary of the, the whole section of Romans. It says the wages of sin is death. That's what you've gotten. That's what you've earned. Death. See, there is another you trying to sabotage your relationship to God and others. And it doesn't end with you. It ripples. We all know this. It impacts us, but it also damages our relationships with others. Others, And it damages their relationships with others as well. And it breaks down the planet, which hurts future generations. And these ripples, they go on and on. And God sees all of the ramifications of of our actions and of our thoughts. And he sees all of it just just projecting and telescoping into the future. And he takes it all and he says it's sin. And what humanity deserves for their sin is death. See, you're worse off than you realize, which is why Paul says, what a wretched man I am. What a wretched man I am. By the way, happy Easter, everyone. (laughs) Glad that you're here. And I'm going to offer a message of hope based on the resurrection. Um, Listen, when greed and self-centeredness win out. And you feel guilt and shame. You rightly feel it. Because you've done wrong. Wrong. And oftentimes we run from this feeling and we think that we can hide the guilt and we can hide the shame. But Jesus is saying, no, you want to take all of that guilt and you want to take all of that shame and you want to bring it to me. You're passively, aggressively slapping a family member in the face without ever actually raising a hand. You rightly feel guilt and shame and when you lust after and objectify another person, you rightly feel guilt and shame. And when you cheat at work and you let another take the fall for your laziness, and when you deceive your spouse, and when you let uh, perverse racial ideas impact you and other people, and when you, re- when you neglect your kids, and when you fail to put God at the center of your affections, you rightly feel Guilt and shame. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the good news that we call the gospel. The word itself, gospel, means good news. This is it. We are delivered. But why? Why? After so much guilt and so much shame being piled on and so much rebellion that we see in our own hearts and so many failings, how is it that that Jesus wants to deliver me? And this is key. This is going to, why Jesus wants to rescue you, this is going to be key in silencing all of the lies that this other self continues. To tell you. However, before we get there, I have to interrupt this sermon for a very cool fundraiser. Fundraiser. And so some of you are like, oh, here he goes. It's going to be about money because it's fundraising. And it is. This is going to be about money. So I am going to auction off Kermit. And he's not, Kermit is not a stuffed animal, by the way. People are saying, why are you carrying a stuffed animal? He's a Kermit collectible. And so I'm auctioning off. Kermit. I want to make some money here this morning right here in the middle of our Easter sermon. And so I need someone who will start the bidding at $1 for Kermit. Who would like? Now, you don't have to pay me right now. It's an honor system. I see that. Is that Dips? Excellent. Dips already is the proud owner unless someone comes in and swoops in and and actually takes Kermit away, excellent, I got another one, Rohan, and Rohan is up, to we go $5, Rohan? All right, anybody willing to take $10 for, excellent, we got Kermit going out at $10. Now, what if, $1. no, no, not going one, nope, not doing one cent increments, we'll be here all morning, I'm not a professional, I'm not an idiot either, but, uh, but, uh, so, so uh, so I'm going to tell you that Kermit actually isn't just coming with a little bit of fabric. My Kermit collectible might be coming with a couple pieces of plastic as well that might be in double or maybe even a triple digit kind of a thing. Anyone interested at $20 for my Kermit? I got an awesome one right here. We got 20 going on. I got $30. Anybody willing to do a $50? Wait, that's a kid. Can I take Mom, Can Mom? All right. And so I can't do that. I don't even think that's legal. So... So, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. And so, all right, now I'm going to add a little bit of plastic in there. That's cool. So Kermit is going to be holding the plastic. Um, But what if I told you that he's also going to be wearing some brand new AirPods? He's going to be $200 on the camera. That's a cameraman call right there. All right, we got $200 going. Now, what if I told you, that not only is this going out for $200, but everything that we raise at this fundraiser right now is actually going to go toward providing food for families that are struggling with food insecurity, largely due to the impact of COVID. And so can I get $250 for that incredibly good cause? I see it right there. I also want to tell you that for that $250, they're going to be getting the collectible Kermit, a couple of cool gift cards, these incredible AirPods, brand new, and they're going to get my undying affection. That's priceless. And so for $250, does anyone want to go crazy and do $500? Anyone? Do I see a $500? Ooh, right there, $500. And I want to let you know that Beacon is also going to be matching your $500 for $1,000 to help families in need. Come on up and grab your Kermit. Come on up. Yeah, you straight up. You take it right now, man. Thank you for seeing the real value of my Kermit collectible. All right. Let's hear it for them. So I want to ask you a question now. How much is Kermit worth. Because he's worth, if you take his materials, if you take his fabric, if you take the felt and the stuffing, he's probably worth about 28 cents. And if you take, you know, he, he was made in China, so he had a few dollars for labor, and so maybe he's worth three or four dollars. And that's pretty crazy. And so you take three or four dollars, but maybe that's not how you determine his value and worth. Maybe Amazon decides. Maybe it's Jeff Bezos who decides what Kermit's worth because we bought him straight off of Amazon. And so maybe, I don't know, $18 or $20. I don't even know how much Kermit was. So is that how we determine Kermit's worth? Or maybe we have to add everything up. Maybe you have to add up what he was on Amazon and then you have to add up, you know, the gift cards that were thrown in and then you got to add in, you know, the fact that there were some really awesome AirPods thrown in and then you got to... Then you got to add what? The value of doing some good in the world. How do you determine Kermit's worth? How? There's only one way. Kermit is worth today $1,000. Because that's what someone was willing to pay when you get one of these fancy pieces of art selling for $23 million and you look at it, you're like, it's cool, but it ain't $23 million cool. But guess what it's worth? Whatever someone is willing to pay. That's how you determine value. Now, you might think they're insane. But how you determine worth is by what someone is willing to pay. You want to know why it is that Jesus will deliver you? What's your worth to him? What is your value to the son of God? What was God willing to pay for you? The price of his son. What was the son willing to do for you the ultimate price we were here good friday and we were just we were just meditating on this incredible sacrifice and it does not matter What anyone else says about you. And it doesn't matter what your family has said. It doesn't matter what those who abused you and used you have said. And it doesn't matter what your insecurities tell you. And it does not matter what your sin has done to you. Jesus has already determined your worth. You are of immense, incalculable Can I say that like that? No. You are of incomprehensible value and worth. Incomprehensible. How much are you worth? It was the cost of God's own son. The suffering of the divine. And the disjunction. And this despair that struck the Godhead. As Jesus breathed his last. And the triune God who has forever lived in harmony and in this beautiful dance of divine love was disrupted as Jesus suffered in body and in spirit to take you out of slavery and to make you a child of God. See, there are promises that are made to you Because Jesus values you beyond comprehension. And there are two Easter promises. The first is that you are forgiven. You need forgiveness. We've already seen it. That's why you've got to take the deep dive into your own sin and your own rebellion. Otherwise, that version of you, that person, the other you, will never make it to the cross. It will always stay in the shadows and it will always live in hiding. And it will always wreak its havoc In darkness and in deceit it needs to be dragged out and made to worship at the foot of the cross that's the other you you need forgiveness and Jesus died the death that you deserve so that he can now offer you that forgiveness we continue in Romans and it says therefore there is now no condemnation No condemnation. Is that how you feel? Is that the the dominant expression of your relationship with God and with your Savior? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free. You are no longer a prisoner. Instead now you are a child of the Most High God. You can have forgiveness if you want it. You can have it. God forgives your sin. God forgives my sin. Can you repeat that with me? God forgives my sin. Let's repeat that again. God forgives my sin. Turn to the person next to you and say, God can forgive your sin. That's it. Turn to the person on your other side and say, God wants to forgive your sin. God forgives my sin. Let that wash over you this Easter. You don't need to carry any of that guilt and any of that shame anymore. Will you take him at his word? Will you accept his forgiveness? You know how often we refuse to forgive ourselves. We're not willing to simply rest in what Jesus has already done for us. The promise of Easter, you are forgiven. There's a second promise as well, that you are a new person. And this is where Easter really kicks life into high gear here for us. You are a new person. Continuing in Romans he says. For what the law was powerless to do. Because it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son. In the likeness of sinful flesh. To be a sin offering. Why? So that he could condemn sin in the flesh. And this is key. In order that the righteous requirement of the law. Might be fully met in us stick with me here this is key you've been forgiven Jesus has in fact taken the death that you deserved and he died on the cross so you wouldn't have to your sin your death he took but this here is something more this is saying That his righteousness is now also your righteousness. That's the language the scripture uses. It's not just that he took your sin. He is giving you his perfections. That is how God sees you. God sees you as having met the righteous requirement of the law complete and full and utter obedience because Christ's righteousness has been transferred to you I recently found out that the etymology of the word Easter most likely comes from the German word for guess what resurrection I know there are people who say it comes from the name of the origin of some pagan god and something but it actually likely comes from a common root with a Germanic background, and it means resurrection. And of course, the resurrection is the profound promise of Easter. Paul is telling us, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. You are being given the resurrection power of Jesus. That is incredible. Can you just say amen to that one? It's not just that you are forgiven. He is making you a new person. There is no more alter ego. It's now altar ego. Come on, that's clever, right? I worked on that all week for you guys. That makes me feel like a real preacher. You are forgiven, and you are a new person. That's how Jesus delivers us. He forgives us by taking our place on the cross, and Jesus gives us new life by defeating death and rising again. We are made new. We are new humans. And now when you struggle, you're not struggling because you are primarily this sinful and broken and damaged person. You are a new creature in Christ. When you struggle now, you are shedding those last few remnants of dark shades that are mucking up the water. You're taking off those last distractions that are holding you back from experiencing the fullness of your life in Christ. We're not damaged goods. Do you hear me on this? You are not damaged goods. Resurrection changed everything. You're a new creature in Christ. All things are being made new in Christ. And one day you will be perfected in Christ. And that is a guarantee to every single person who has surrendered their life to Jesus. It is a promise. You have incomprehensible value and worth before God. You are a child of the King. You are adopted into His family. You are heirs to the eternal and the priceless inheritance. He's promised that He went ahead of us to go and prepare a place so that when it is time that we will go and be with Him. And these promises are yours. Will you trust him in that? Will you accept his forgiveness? Will you live in the power of that forgiveness? And will you surrender your guilt and your shame and your sin? And will you live in the joy and in the hope that is the power of resurrection in this Easter?